How's it going, everyone? And welcome to the first podcast. And uh, really excited about this first podcast. I had been thinking a lot about what I want this podcast to be about. And I uh, thought, well, maybe it would be a good opportunity for me to pretty much tell you a little bit about me and where I come from and my experiences and what I have seen happen and how my life has progressed over time in my career. Okay, so you guys are going to have to bear with me. This is my first podcast, so we're going to grow together on this and going to make this happen. And uh, this is going to be a story about my amazing experiences through my life. I'm super excited. This was really spontaneous, and I am happy to share this with you guys. So here we go. So pretty much how this all started, from a very young age, my grandmother spent a lot of time telling me stories about places she had been to go and visit, like the Kruger National Park, showing me animal books, especially bird books. She would open up bird books and say, you know, look at this bird. Can you see it in the garden? Can you hear it? These are the sounds that it makes. And she was always making sure that I was connected with wildlife. And I remember those days so well. Also, making sure that I understood how important animals were. Making sure that I knew that those animals were there as much as we are here on this planet. When I was around, maybe I'd say about six or seven years old, an old lady that knew my gran said that she had a pair of zebra finches. Those tiny little zebra finches from Australia and that she wasn't able to look after them anymore. So what they, what happened was she asked my gran, you know, would you be willing to take these birds on? So my gran thought maybe at that time, it's probably a good idea for me to have an experience of having maybe a bird as a pet. So she said that could bring those birds along. My uncle then made this little wooden aviary on stilts with a wooden bottom and just the front end and there were little nests inside and some perches and the lady brought her zebra finches and I remember the one little zebra finch as a male zebra finch he was missing his foot on his one leg I think it was the left leg if I'm not mistaken and I called him peg leg and it was little gray male and a little gray female just those perfect little zebra finches their little cheeks I remember those little orangey cheeks and we put them in the aviary and I spent the whole day just sitting and looking and watching these birds moving along, listening to them call. And I remember I had this, this tape recorder and I thought, well, let me record the calls because the male would bounce around and do his little mating call. And I thought, well, let me do this. Let me go and fetch the tape recorder and record him and then play the sounds back to him and see what he did. So I sat and I and I tried to record, and the recorder wasn't working. Of course, some technology back then when I was younger wasn't the greatest. It was this black recorder um, with this weird metal handle, and it took a tape, a cassette, and a lot of the younger people probably listening to this podcast don't even know what I'm talking about when I say a cassette or a tape recorder. Um, but it would slide open, put the tape in, close it, and you had to push a button to get it to record. It would click down and uh, the tape would go and it would record. 
and I'd be sitting there waiting and then he would sort of do his little call and if I moved he would he would stop doing his call so then I had to start all over again and rewind the tape and start again till eventually I got this bird to have those calls on the tape and then I listened to the calls and I took that tape recorder and I then played it back to them and watched them and the male would get all excited and think that there's another male around and the female would be hopping around looking for this other male and it was just so interesting and that I guess was pretty much where my interest in behavior came from and I didn't even know that that's where it came from but of course over time those zebra finches bred and had their chicks and I was so excited about that as you can only imagine and two zebra finches turned into five zebra finches and they were starting to get too many for this small Avery. So my father decided I look really interested in all of this. So he's going to build me a much larger Avery. Well, did he build me a large Avery? It was this huge metal structured Avery with this raised bottom and these little cups at the bottom that you put oil in to prevent the ants from getting in. So if any food or eggs broke or anything, there wouldn't be these ants crawling up and covering it because we really had an end problem back then and it was this huge aviary and I remember it came in panels and he put it all up and I was so excited I released my five little zebra finches into it and they completely disappeared inside the aviary because it was so big um, and I had a an old tree in there that my uncle had brought from the farm in Freyet in Kozulunatel and oh it was all intricate and had some branches in and some leaves in and I just made sure that you know, the little zebra finches were happy, but they really disappeared into that Avery. So my dad, my dad pretty much said, well, why don't you go and have a look and see if you can find something else that we can put in? And we went to a pet shop and there were these little diamond doves, little speckled doves with these red um, skin parts around their eyes. And I was like, oh, I really want these. So we got a pair of those. And that's pretty much where it went from. And then I had diamond doves and zebra finches. Woohoo, go Australia. And that was pretty much my breeding and my starting of my breeding of the birds. And that went on for quite a few years, different birds changing up. I then eventually got uh, rabbits and guinea pigs, uh, even had a tortoise at one stage. And yeah, it was just starting to become very much like a zoo at my house. I remember cousins coming along and saying they all wanted to come to the house to come and see all the different animals. I even went through a patch where I started making boards. So these boards with the animals names on and the pictures of them and some information and educational stuff just like we have in our zoological facilities right now. Just getting into it and I probably was around about seven or eight years old. Maybe even a little bit older than that. And what I also started doing is because I had these birds inside the aviary, they were calling all the other birds in the garden. We we're feeding the birds in the bird feeder. And I, what I would do is go along and kind of see how many different birds were coming into the garden, start feeding them in a certain area. And then I had a bird trap that I had made. And I then started trapping some of these wild birds. And then I started identifying which ones these birds were. And then I had these little plastic rings. And I put those plastic rings on their legs, different colors coded for different things. And then I would sit with my little notebook and watch these birds day in and day out, seeing which one was sitting next to which one and which one was, you know, 
had which chick because I'd catch some of the youngsters over time. And I suppose that's where all like the the research side came out. So that was quite interesting. And I remember those days quite well. And I'm sure um, if people think about it and they go back into their time when they were younger, you probably also find you did a few things that maybe brought you to the career you're actually sitting in right now. It's those small things that actually make quite a big difference. You know, once I was in high school, because that time when, you know, zebra finches and rabbits and guinea pigs and all that, and I was still in primary school. But when I moved to high school, um, I had a lot more schoolwork to do. And a lot of the animals, um, over time, they died or I gave away to somebody who wanted. And I had quite a small collection after a while. So I try to focus my attention more on my schoolwork. But even at school, I had a lot of interest in wildlife. I actually became the president of the wildlife club at the school. And this was all about making sure that everybody was aware of conservation and cleaning, keeping the school clean and making sure that we recycle. Remember, we used to take and find uh, tin cans pretty much during the break time, go and find all the tin cans, take them to this area. And then we used to crush them and put them in bags and package them in these big white bags, making sure that they were sorted for the truck to come and pick it up. And then while I was still at high school, I then found the Klipperversberg Nature Reserve, which was in Mondial, which is a bit of a drive away. Uh, if I remember correctly, my dad and I went there to go and get, well, go and take the dogs for a walk. And uh, I just remember experiencing that bush felt experience and walking through the bush. And I really, really enjoyed it. So I started asking my dad if we could go a little bit more and more. Until the one time I think we went there and there were a lot of people around the entrance. And I was so excited because there was people around that were obviously enjoying the reserve like I was. Turned out that these people were actually going on a guided walk. So I decided I'd join the guided walk. My dad let me go. And um, I really like listened in to hear what these people were talking about and their experiences and just learning everything I possibly could from them. And I got so excited about it that I even offered to start doing it myself. But before I even did that, I would go through the reserve and just do walks with my binoculars, going to look at all the different birds, the different grasses and trees, and just getting to know the reserve and where things were. At that time, there weren't a lot of game or large game in the reserve at the time, uh, because when we first started visiting the reserve, there wasn't actually a boundary fence. But eventually they put up this large boundary fence and they decided they're going to release game into it. So this was really exciting. I unfortunately didn't get the chance to see them releasing the game as I was sitting at school doing all my schoolwork. But I was so excited on weekends to go and check and see how the game were doing. And eventually I started doing these guided walks. It was every second Sunday, if I remember correctly, every second Sunday of the month, where we would go out and we would do walks. And there were different groups of people, you know, some people couldn't do the long walk, some people wanted to just go and see birds, some people wanted to walk along the river, and some people wanted to go and see the game. And I was always so excited to be able to take the people to go and see the game, because I wanted to go and find the game and show them the zebras and the wildebeest and just show them all the different things of how to find them and track them. So that was really exciting and what an amazing experience for me. I then also through that somehow found the Ritfle Zoo Farm, which is a little bit away down the road from the Klipperisberg Nature Reserve. It's sort of joined through this green belt that goes along um, that area with a river. 
And Redflay Zoo Farm back then was actually owned by the Johannesburg Zoo. It was their breeding farm for the Johannesburg Zoo. So a lot of the endangered animals or large amounts of animals that they couldn't keep at the zoo itself were housed at the zoo farm. And then if there was anything that they need to replace in the zoo, they'd move those animals over to the zoo. So there was another amazing experience for me to go and experience some other type of wildlife in captivity. And at that time, there was actually a group of people that were running the public side of Ritfle Zoo Farm. The Johannesburg Zoo just kept the animals there, but they, other people had got a tender about kind of looking after the animals and, sorry, not looking after the animals, but kind of, you know, looking after the public side of things with a restaurant and the tickets and all of that of coming into the park. And I spoke to them and they were quite interested in what I had to say. Because I thought, well, you know, it'd be really great for people that are coming to visit this facility to have an experience to maybe touch a rabbit or see a rabbit or see a goat or something like that so that children can enjoy it. So they were really excited about this. So they asked me if I'd come through on weekends and maybe start working on weekends. And they'd pay me, I don't know, I think it was about a hundred rand back then. And for those of you maybe... Um, working in dollars, probably about $10 or so. So that was to go and just kind of work on getting a little bit of an experience in building enclosures. I think these weren't really like crazy enclosures like we have in zoological facilities. Now, these were small, standard, little petting zoo sort of enclosures. But having ducks and chickens and goats and sheep and pigs just so that when people came, there was something else so that they could connect with those things. They also had a pit with uh, meerkats in right as you walk in the entrance. And I remember this so very well. As you walk in the entrance, there's this large pit and the meerkats are in there with rocks and trees. And I always thought to myself, this is a great starting point for everybody to experience. And it's so strange that I thought that because much later on, once I had completed my the, the petting zoo that I had done, I started feeling like something needed to happen more on weekends for people to have an experience. So I took it upon myself to start doing guided tours. Guided tours around the park, taking people around and just telling them about the animals. Yes, there's signs there that tell them all about these animals, but I felt like it was missing someone there to be able to answer some of the questions that people may want to know. So I did that. I took it upon myself and every day on the weekend, Saturday and Sunday, I would do a guided tour that would last about, I think about 30 to 40 minutes. And then there would be another one starting again. I'd work myself really hard because I told the ticket office that every 50 minutes or so, there would be another, another guided tour. And they eventually started having people waiting for the next guided tour. And I would start my guided tours standing inside the meerkat's enclosure, the meerkat's running around, coming up to me and starting it there and explaining. And I remember coming across a photograph of myself standing there. I was this tall, skinny young guy with this cowboy hat on and these khaki pants and a khaki two-tone shirt. And uh, I'm talking to this group of people and telling them all about these amazing animals. And I was just like enthralled in what I was doing. And from there, we'd move on to the wild dogs and then we'd go up to the lions. And if I timed some of the, the, the tours correctly, we'd catch the lions being fed. 
and that was such an experience for everyone so that I'd be able to tell them a little bit more about it and how that all happened. So that was really an amazing experience for me and that was sort of my foot in the door when it came to starting with tours and speaking to public and getting involved in the zoological industry. And then I remember sitting at at school the one day and uh, yes, we had cell phones eventually back then and I was allowed to have a cell phone, thank goodness. But I remember getting a message to say that something had happened at, at Ritfley and uh, it was during the week, so I was at school, um, that the wild dogs had escaped. And I thought, oh my word, wild dogs have escaped. Wonder what, how that's all going to pan out. And I got so excited that I went to one of the teachers that knew me quite well. And uh, she heard the story from me and she was like, oh really, this is what happened? And I said, yes. And you know, I really want to go there and I really want to help with the situation because these wild dogs have got out and they're now in the bush around the area there and all the people have come from the zoo and I just really want to go and help and see what I can do. And she said, you know what? You go and you go and do it. Just do it. And she wrote a little note for me and that note was to say that I was allowed to leave. I phoned my mom and I said, this is what's happened. She came and picked me up from the school and drove me off to Redflay and I arrived there all excited. Before I got there, I'd obviously put my khaki stuff on at home and got there and I was all excited. And there all these people were from Johannesburg Zoo with all these zoo vehicles with Joburg Zoo on the side. And I was like, oh my word, this is the best experience ever. Look at all these amazing people that are here. And I started chatting to them and getting involved and finding out what we were going to do next. And that's where my connections came. I made so many amazing connections with some of those keepers that came out to help that those connections still stand till today. And I still can't believe that it was just from that one single moment that I got that opportunity to go there. Because from that, they then said to me, you know, you seem so dedicated and so excited about this. Why don't you come and visit us at the Johannesburg Zoo? And I thought, wow, visit you at the Joburg Zoo. I mean, I visited the Joburg Zoo in the past. But visiting you at the Johannesburg Zoo behind the scenes, yes, I am in. So I took down their numbers and I arranged with them. And of course, get this opportunity and I go to the Johannesburg Zoo and I go through their their staff area and what an experience that was. And got to walk around the zoo and meet all the different keepers and animal attendants and the curators and the different sections. And I think they back then started to see that there was quite a lot of enthusiasm from me and that this is where my future lay, is in this type of industry. So there were a select few keepers that started taking me under their wing. I was still volunteering at Red Flay Zoo Farm, but I would spend a lot more time going to the Johannesburg Zoo now. I had made the Red Flay Zoo Farm thing exciting and I sort of got other staff involved and they started taking it on. So I could now spend a little bit more time going to Joburg Zoo and getting some more experience till eventually kind of working at Red Flay Zoo Farm faded away and I spent a lot more time volunteering at the Joburg Zoo. In fact, I spent almost every single weekend at the Johannesburg Zoo. Every waking moment that I could possibly, where I wasn't at school, I was at Joburg Zoo. There were times where I asked my mom to please take me to the zoo after school, even though it was only probably about two and a half hours left of the day, 
I wanted to be at the zoo. When I left high school, I spent every single day at the zoo. I probably drove my mother and my father completely nuts because every day I wanted to go to the zoo. Now, I didn't have a driver's license back then, so they would have to drive me there and come and fetch me every single time. But they did it because they could see my passion. They could see I was very interested. And I think that happened for about two years where I kind of just volunteered full on almost every single day going to the zoo. And the experiences I had with feeding polar bears, feeding lions, even rearing antelope and rearing pigs. I remember we had these little potbelly pigs at the farmyard. And we were struggling to get them to drink from mom. And we were making different bottles and trying to feed them. And then there was a Sitatunga baby and trying to feed the Sitatunga baby. Oh, it was just an amazing experience. Walking through all the different enclosures with the keepers, learning everything, training seals. Oh, wow. I remember that. That's where a lot of the training um, sort of mindset started coming in. So I started helping the, the keeper back then with the, with the seals. They weren't doing really a formal training or formal seal show at the time. It was just a seal feeding that they would do a few things with the seals. But I, I felt like it needed more. It needed something to really oomph it. So they would do a little bit of a talk. They'd have a microphone and they would do a talk. And I said to them, you know what? You concentrate on your talking. I'll feed the seals and get them to do some really cool behaviors. So I'd get the seals out of the of the water and they'd come out and I would sort of put my hand over my head. And by the way, I'm doing that thinking you guys can see me, but you can't. But I put my hand over my head and the seal would copy what I'm doing and I'd reinforce that behavior. And I'd get the, the seal to come up and touch a target with its nose. And it was just so exciting to be able to work with an animal like that and watching the public and listening to the public and seeing their reactions just made me feel so much better about what I had decided to do. And from there, I kind of got involved with a lot more people and a little bit more connections. And a position opened up at Monte Cassino Bird Gardens, which was a bit more north of the city than um, Johannesburg Zoo was. Now, I had been to Monte Cassino Bird Gardens a couple of times in the past and watched the bird show and walked through the park. And I thought that the bird show was really amazing. Like, I couldn't believe that something like that was actually happening. So when this position came up, I got excited. I applied for the position and I got the position and I was so excited. It was a bird trainer and bird show presenter position. This position was like a dream job. I got to do something that I had watched that I thought was one of the most amazing things I have ever seen. So I started the job, always starting a new job, as I'm sure every single one of you that have ever started working at a zoo knows. It is one of the hardest things to do is start a new job because you have to learn where everything is. And you kind of feel like you're getting left behind sometimes, but eventually that time just disappears and you get into the swing of things. And I really started enjoying this whole training. Now it took a couple of months for me to get the confidence, I was a very shy kid at the time, um, get the confidence to be able to go and stand in front of a large audience of let's say about 300 people and do a bird show. Well, eventually I did it. I remember being extremely nervous um, because I had to do it for the management first and I had to s 
I think it was actually, no, that goes back to the interview. So for the interview for this, sorry, I'm jumping all over, but for the interview, I had to stand on the stage with a microphone on and they asked me to sing Bar Bar Black Sheep. And I thought, my goodness, I don't even know how to do this. I was shaking like crazy, but I got the job. So now getting ready to now do it in front of 300 people, people I don't know, which probably helped the situation as if any of you have ever done shows in front of everybody, doing a show in front of people that you don't know is much better than doing a show in front of people you do know. Yeah, if there's anybody in the show that you know, your nerves skyrocket. So I got ready to do this show and we had these striped <laughs> um waistcoats I think they were these striped colorful waistcoats put that waistcoat on put that microphone on get myself ready and then you know you've got to sort of walk out when there's this loud music walk out and be like hey everybody how's everybody doing and my nerves were going crazy but I did it I walked out and I said hi everybody how's everybody going and the audience was clapping and they were like hi and I was like wow this is an amazing experience we went through the show. I made a few mistakes, but I fixed them up. The birds were a little bit up and down. Some birds were not doing so well in their behaviors at the time um, due to some seasonal changes, some trainer changes. But I got through the show and it was more like a, whew, I just did my first show. And it was really nice because in the audience, I actually had one of my cousins and she was taking a photograph of things that I was doing and one of the photographs that I have and it's hanging up in my house I actually sometimes have it in my office depends on where I've been working but it's of me standing in the seating area with all the people around me in this bright uniform holding my hand up high with a beautiful jackal buzzard with these wonderful dark colors and this white coloration underneath its wing with its wings open as it lands on my glove. What amazing memory to have. I also have a photograph of me holding a spotted eagle owl on the glove as I am explaining to the audience all about the spotted eagle owl and uh, wow just remembering those things are just absolutely amazing. Now I was working at the bird gardens for probably about a year and I got this really cool opportunity because I had been doing some research about, you know, how I can improve my training and shows. And I started watching Steve Martin bird shows. Now, this was a guy that was doing bird shows in the United States, much older than I am, doing shows at the State Fair in Dallas, Texas. And they were very old. I think somebody had it as a, a VHS um, tape. It wasn't even a DVD at the time. And I watched it and I thought, wow, this is amazing. This is the type of show that we should be doing. And I started doing a little bit more research into it. And I found Natural Encounters, Inc. Because he spoke about it in his, his shows that I had been watching. Natural Encounters, Inc., Winter Haven, Florida, United States. And I thought, wow, what an amazing, amazing experience this could be to work there or do something there. So doing a little bit of research, I found that they actually do workshops. And I thought, well, it's a no-brainer. I need to get there to do these workshops. So I spoke to my father and he said, okay, you know what? Let's do it. Let's sort this out. Let's get you there. At the time, I was also working on becoming a member of IAATE, which is the International Association of Avian Trainers and Educators. 
and I had just received my membership and I bought a cap and a shirt and I was all excited about it. And my dad said, well, is there anything else that's happening in the States at the same time? So I did a little bit more research and I found that the IAATE conference was happening around the same time as the workshop. So he said, well, perfect. How about this? I will pay for you to go there if you can learn all of this information and bring it back and better yourself. And I thought, well, this is the best experience ever. Let's do it. So went ahead, got my visa, all excited. My dad thought, well, he's going to come with me. So he came with me, but I went about two or three weeks prior to his arrival into the States. And I went and I landed in Orlando and they picked me up and we drove to Winter Haven to the ranch in Florida. And wow, I couldn't believe where I was this amazing large piece of land and all these enclosures and all you can hear is macaws calling and fish eagles and crows and I was just overwhelmed and they kind of settled me in it was late in the afternoon and I went to bed because I was a little bit jet lagged the next morning I remember sort of waking up and having this realization that where actually am I did I dream that I went to the United States? And the reason why I was thinking that is because when I woke up, I heard hardy dars. Now, for those of you that are in South Africa listening to this, you know exactly what I mean when I say I heard hardy dars. There are these loud, screeching birds that wake us up early hours of the morning here in South Africa, pretty much anywhere you live, really. And I heard them when I woke up and I was like, where am I? am I still in South Africa? And then I heard macaws and I realized, no, I am not. I am in America and I'm at the ranch at NEI. What an amazing experience. But NEI has a lot of hardy dars because they use them in all of their shows, wherever the state fair or any of the other shows that they do around the country. Because when they call, as they're flying across the stage, they make that amazing call and it sort of gets everybody's attention. And this was the day I was getting to meet Mr. Steve Martin, the guru of bird trading. And I was so excited because he was like the idol, my my mentor, like I was wanting to learn everything from him. And I got to meet him and I sat in that workshop and it was just amazing listening to all of his experiences and him telling us exactly how he got to where he was. Wow, what an amazing experience that was. We were then broken up into teams and I had a, a team leader, um, Lindsay, and she was just amazing and so supportive because we were going through all these different behaviors and I was learning so many different things. And she would say to me, you know what, just breathe, just do what you have to do, small approximations to get those behaviors. And I did them and I got and I made a few mistakes and we worked through them. And at the end of the workshop, I remember her saying to me, Ryan, you have an amazing ability to work with birds. You have this ability to understand behavior and try and mold that behavior. And I will never forget her telling me that. It was just so warming. You know, the people there were just so willing to give out that information and allow you to learn. It was such an amazing learning experience. If anybody ever gets that chance to ever go to NEI to be able to do their workshop, I suggest you do it because it changed my life. After the workshop, it was time to head off to Minnesota. 
Now, Minnesota was where the IAATE conference was, the International Association of Avian Trainers. So this was my first time going to any sort of large conference. So I arrived there and I was nervous. There are a lot of people, but I really started to realize that all of these people are just like me. They're there to learn about training. They're there to give information. They're there to take information and they're there to just learn absolutely everything they possibly can. What a great experience. What amazing people. I had built so many amazing bonds with people there. In fact, there are so many friends and colleagues from overseas that I had got connections with just from going to one single IAATE conference. And I was so blown away by these conferences and everything that I learned from it that I pretty much went to another three more conferences consecutively for the next three years. An amazing experience. What a fantastic time I had there. Learning so much, getting to know so many people. And I know I keep on saying it, but it's absolutely a great experience. The networking experience that you get from a trainer's conference like that is just one of the the best things you could probably ever do. Now, after the first conference, I get back to South Africa and I have so much excitement because I have all of this information and I just want to blurb it out to everybody and tell them we have to change everything and we've got to do everything like this. But I had to sit back and think about what Steve had said in the workshop. Change is slow and try and get everybody on the same page by letting them experience the change themselves. So all I did was I got back and I started telling people little snippets about it. There was a little bit of hesitation from everybody because it was slightly different to how we had been training in the past, but they were starting to catch on to it. At the time, we had no bird show manager. The manager had subsequently resigned and uh, that position was open. So I thought, well, I've never been in a management position, but I have all these amazing ideas to change the bird show, to change our training type, to, to mold the show. Let me try. So I applied for the job and I did a whole full presentation about everything that I experienced overseas. And they were so excited about it that they awarded me that position as bird show manager. Now that's a lot of weight on my shoulders. So much information so much to do and so much expectation of me to get stuff done. But I thought I'm going to do it and I'm going to get this done. And of course I did. I made sure that everybody got the opportunity to experience my experience. And I even set up a workshop through an animal keepers association here in Africa, which I had become part of. And we then brought in Steve Martin from the States to actually come to our facility to do a workshop. And mind-blowing experience of having Steve Martin, the Steve Martin, watch my bird show. It was just, it was a career-making moment for me. That's all I can say. So what an amazing time getting to teach people all about the training that I had experienced and getting to see how they experienced that was just so great. Watching trainers, and I'm sure for those of you who are trainers, you would probably understand where I'm going with this. But watching someone that you've explained to of how to maybe mold a behavior and sitting back and actually watching them do it and, and start trying to mold that behavior with that bird or animal, 
And when they actually get it right, and the bird has the aha moment that, I know what you want me to do. And the trainer's eyes light up and they go, oh my word, it just worked. That is the best feeling I can tell you that I've ever had. And I still thrive on that whenever I get the opportunity to teach somebody about training and behavior. And I can definitely thank all the people that have changed my life through all the workshops and experiences that I've had over the last few years. And I'm hoping that through these podcasts, I get to share those people with you and share those experiences with you. After Monty, I had the opportunity to actually get a chance to go and work in the field. Now, we had done a lot of bird shows where we spoke about conservation and some project, conservation projects that were that were going on at the time. And one of those projects was about our beautiful wattled cranes. Now, wattled cranes are the largest crane species that we have in South Africa, and they're actually critically endangered. And we always spoke about this conservation project that people would go out and collect a second egg, incubate it, hatch it, and raise the chick to release it in the wild. And while raising the chick, they'd be wearing this cloak with a puppet. And I thought, wow, that's just absolutely crazy. How dedicated could you be? And funny enough, I got the amazing opportunity to go and do this down in the KwaZulu-Natal Midlands. So I moved down to the KwaZulu-Natal Midlands and I started at the KZN Crane Foundation. And there I was the reserve manager for the Bull Bonds Crane and Oribe Nature Reserve because of my experience doing tours at a reserve and sort of understanding wildlife. And then also became the project manager for the Wattle Crane Conservation Research Project. Now this is where um, certain entities would go out like EWT and Ezenvelo KZN Wildlife and they would go and collect these eggs, the second egg that they hatched, not hatch the second egg that they laid that didn't hatch and would naturally not hatch unless something was wrong with the first chick. So they'd wait just before that first chick would hatch, go and collect that second egg, bring it back to our facility where we'd put it in an incubator, hatch the chick, raise it in these cloaks. And we had this puppet with a wooden beak and we'd have to move them, you know, and show them different things and walk with them in the wetland and walk with them in the grassland and show them how to find food. And it was just days and days turned into weeks and weeks turned into months of just doing repetitive, 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 going over it and over it again and just making sure that these birds went out into the wild knowing that they were wattled cranes. It was an amazing experience, the first pilot that we did. And uh, unfortunately, we didn't release those chicks. It was just to test to see if things was going to work. And uh, those chicks then went into captivity to hopefully breed and maybe in the future be able to hatch chicks and release them into the wild. And then we were going to start the project to allow chicks to be released into the wild. And then we unfortunately got a drought for about two years. So that kind of stopped the project for about two years. But it was fine because it got me going out into the field and watching wattle cranes and blue cranes and crown cranes doing what they do in the wild. And that allowed me to be able to find my niche and be able to understand their behavior so that when I do raise the next set of chicks, I know exactly, well, I can at least try to know exactly what the parents would have probably done. So the time came and eventually they brought this first egg and I incubated the egg and I hatched the chick and we started raising it and started walking it around and another egg came and we raised that chick till eventually we had three chicks. We raised those chicks and 
it was just so crazy, so much going on, so much experience, so many people trying different things. You know, so many things didn't work, so many things did work. It's a research project. That's what it's all about. And it was just a great experience. And we got to release two of those cranes into the wild. And I am so proud to say that I was part of a project where we raised chicks from the moment they hatched and they are now in the wild. I can I can confirm that right now there is one of them in the wild because they had trackers on them that is now fully integrated into a wild flock of wattle cranes and is acting like a wattle crane. That is such an amazing feeling inside, just knowing that I was part of that sort of experience. After that project ended, I then got an amazing opportunity to be able to go and volunteer at a zoo in Australia. You can imagine which zoo? Australia Zoo. Yep, the Steve Irwin Zoo. I thought this was this is mind-blowing. I'm going to go to a place where I had been sitting in front of a TV watching a guy for years and years about his zoo, and now I get to go there. Well, it was exactly how I thought it was going to be. What a great experience. What an amazing bunch of people. I got to work with the bird show people because that's why I went out there to try and, you know, exchange some experiences see how they did things, see how I do things, and maybe make some changes around some of the behaviors. What a great experience. I got to meet so many people. I got to meet the Irwins, Bindi and Robert. It was just so amazing. And I have now created another whole family on another continent and a whole lot of colleagues and friends that I have connection with through my career. And Again, this is the exact reason why I wanted to do these podcasts. I want to bring these people in to share their knowledge, their experiences, and their just specialist amazingness, animal care that they have to to all of you so that you can hear exactly how this is all. And this is where I am right now. So I left Australia Zoo with this, you know, this amazing feeling of, wow, I just got to be at Australia Zoo got back here and I was like, right, what am I going to do? And boom, a job popped up and I applied for it. I moved down to the KwaZulu-Natal South Coast and I got a position at Crockwell Conservation Center as a curator of birds. And wow, what a great opportunity. I am so humbled to be a part of this group of people and this facility. So I am so excited about my future. I hope you are all excited about your future. I hope you're excited about these podcasts as I am. And I really, really hope that you guys are going to continue listening in because I think we're going to have some amazing experiences. So yeah, just keep listening. Keep keep an ear out for these podcasts. And I really, really want to hear from you guys as well. So if there's anything you guys would like to hear about or talk about, you can email me on animal.talk201 at gmail.com. So pop me an email, let me know your thoughts. I'd love to hear from you guys. And remember, animals are our passion. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.